1: to the flight deck of a business jet. But before we begin, that, just a couple of announcements. First of all, questions, comments, inspirational stories, please write us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. I've been getting a lot of questions about also how you can give a gift of that scholarships guide that we have with over $120 million of scholarships updated monthly. There's an easy way to do that. Just send us an email, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com, tell us how many you need what your name is, and we will send you some coupons. Also, just go to AviationCoursePodcast.com, click on gift. It's that simple. Uh, I really appreciate, by the way, what everybody is doing, uh, You know, paying it forward and buying gifts for scholarships guide. We still have the Pay It Forward campaign. If you're interested in a scholarships guide, just go out there and uh, and use a coupon code, Pay It Forward. I will say one thing, and it's really been a blessing. Uh, by the, When we put pay it forward coupons together and we put them forth. They're gone within days. So uh, if you are interested in really wanting to make a difference, I tell you, be it, you know, Getting a scholarships guide for somebody will make a difference. It's only $10. And if you can get a scholarship or they can get a scholarship, it'll make a, a world of difference. Also, uh, another thing I want you to take a look at, if you don't mind, if you're listening, uh, is my YouTube channel. We started doing videos, again, on the YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash expert aviator. And um, we're doing kind of a, an off-the-cuff, more format, almost like a, a vlog, basically, where I'm answering your questions there. And uh, I'm getting a lot of positive feedback, so I'd like to hear more about it. Not that we won't answer your questions here in the Q&As, but we're doing Q&As both on the Facebook and, excuse me, on the YouTube channel and also here at the podcast. Anyway, let's get on with this show. Like I said, today we have with us someone who's uh, made the journey to the flight deck of a business jet, of course, is going to talk about the challenges and also the things that she loves. And that's Aubrey Warwick. Aubrey, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Aubrey, I am excited to have you here because one of the things that has really spurred my interest lately is Instagram, and you're one of those people that does a great job on Instagram. I love the pictures, and I love the fact that you really are promoting aviation and also your passion. Which is really, really cool. Yeah,
2: so, I love it. <laughs> and,
1: and you obviously are passionate about aviation. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, you know, we're talking about corporate flying, that type of thing. So if you don't mind, let's go back and talk a little bit about, you know, how you got into aviation and why you are so passionate.
2: Well, uh, back in my day when I was four, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, tr- it truly actually started when I was four. And uh, what's crazy is I don't have any aviation history in my family, nobody flies. I have some cousins that do now, but, um, when I was four, my mom used to take me out to, I'm from Michigan. She used to take me out to this little airport, uh, Grozeal and the Goodyear blimp would always, you know, land and you could walk up to it. And I met the pilot and I just remember like this big thing defying gravity. And I was like, uh, this is what I want to do. I want to fly. And, you know, um, that was back in like 92. And just growing up throughout uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, I always expressed an interest in aviation, aerospace engineering, astronomy. Um, But what was crazy was all of my peers were like, oh, you want to be a pilot? Well, don't you want to be a flight attendant? Don't you want to be a teacher? You can teach astronomy. And they were wavering me to a a more feminine role, if you will. And I just, I just remember one day going home and I was just so upset. And my mother was like, you know, it was, it was after a career day. And I was like, I I told them, I did a whole report on, I want to be a pilot. I actually wanted to be a pilot in the military. Um, And they basically, my my teachers told me, no, like what, what gives? You say you can be anything you want to be. And she sat me down and she said, Aubrey, you can't be anything you want to be when you grow up. And I just looked like, so you guys are all lying to us as children? (laughs) I don't don't know. Um, She said, you can be anything you're willing to be when you grow up because the difference between want and will is how much sacrifice you're willing to make to get what you want. And boy, I stood there scratching my head at 12 years old, but I totally understand the sacrificial side of, you know, pursuing a dream like aviation. Um, You know, and so every time someone said no to me in some fat form or fashion, it fueled my fire to prove them wrong. And that's when I pushed forward into, um, an aviation career at uh, Eastern Michigan University. I got into the flight training program there and, uh, there were two females in that class and, um, you know, everywhere I go, I was just, they call us a unicorn nowadays, but, um, It's still interesting that even, you know, in this century, we're still in a pioneer stage with women in aviation.
1: Interestingly, uh, and you mentioned that, my brother and I were talking actually before this interview, and we were, my, my mom was our baseball coach, right? And that was something different back in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, it really, in that role, that was very different you even see that that today that we're seeing that. And that's what's surprising me when you said that. It just, it, I was cringing when you are talking because how can that be that, that we still have those specific, you know, preconceived notions about certain roles, especially with gender, but we do. And and that's something that, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here is knowing that, that there are still challenges. And the great thing about you is you're somebody who actually is out there And as an example of a female that's doing this, that also is helping others. And I think that's absolutely terrific that you're doing that. And uh, so it really is a paradigm shift is what it is. And it's something that I think is going to take a while. It's really strange though, isn't it? That in this industry, this has happened, just like you were saying. I mean, other industries, not like that, right?
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think we, you see it there. you know, a few years ago we had the whole, I say we, I mean, like females and our economic situation in America, uh, we went through the whole pay inequality and gender bias. And like, why are we fighting each other? I didn't know a pilot certificate could tell the, the difference of the gender in the cockpit, you know, um, kind of put your skill to put your money where your mouth is with your skill, so to speak. Um, but it, it does rear its head and, in, in most, places of business. If it's not of a feminine role, I say that loosely, like, you know, nursing, teaching more, there are more women than men, actually. Um, But the, just the challenges of women being a female in aviation, yeah, the pioneer stage is very much alive. And I think the caveat though, is understanding that it's a double edged sword. I love using that term. We are seven percent in the whole world there are seven percent of professional uh, commercial pilots in the world uh, which is a very very tiny percentage and everyone already knows that aviation is a small industry anyways Um, but that double-edged sword is women do get noticed first so let's use that to our advantage however the other side of that sword is we might get noticed first but you have as a female you have to fly harder faster sharper and really mind your P's and Q's than the man next to you. So, you know, and the the biggest thing is I, I cannot stand and I try to really promote this in a very, a very positive light on my social media and on my uh, website um, that there's a difference with the whole feminist factor. I. I do not want to dog or, or you know, I'm not going to play down to the, quote, men's level of, you know, another empty kitchen and all of those funny, silly stereotypes that we still so much ha ha laugh and brush off. Um, but I'm going to make those men play up to my level and say, hey, I'm going to do it better than you. Why don't I challenge you and you try to be better than me? And whatever that means, professionally, flight skill wise, personally, personality, whatever.
1: You know, one of the things that's interesting, uh, when you were saying that, I was saying to myself, it's kind of, it's strange that we have these conversations right now. Um, and uh, maybe because I come from a different background, but, you know, why, why are we having this, having that conversation about females and men are, you know, even, you know, when I'm alone amongst men, I'll listen to people and say, how did, you know, how can you be so ignorant to say these things? Um, and I think, again, it just, Answer the question that i I'm meant posing is that we just haven't changed our attitudes and our in our paradigms.
2: Yeah, and it comes down to it really. Um, I, I compare. Oh gosh, I compare everything to aviation. So it comes down to. So personally, for men, I think it comes down to the primacy of learning and a negative transfer of habit. We've heard those words before. If you're a CFI and in your own training, but primacy of learning. You guys, I was taught by. I was raised in aviation by all men. And so I know the jokes and I kind of pick on myself at points to fit in and be one of the guys. And I realized later on in life that that's not how I wanted to carry myself. But, um, you know, it's just something that was bred into your training on the uh, social level of flying. Um, And so really, I used to tell the girls, like, if you can't roll with the big dog, stay on the porch. If you can't roll with the punches then you don't need to be in aviation. You have to have a backbone and you have to understand, and this is a big thing. Other people's opinions of you are none of your business. And as long as you can adapt that in your mind and know that you are a boss at what you do, um, you have, you should have nothing to worry about. Who cares what they say?
1: Yeah. Amen to that. Aubrey, you, you really are a great ambassador for females, but pilots in general. And I, I think it's great that you're, you're like this. And, um, one thing I think that we need to do more of is be positive, too, and tell people, hey, listen, things are changing. Uh, you know, I here's an interesting one. I'm going to get a lot of blowback for this one. You know, a lot of people in the media have been saying how this is going to hurt females more than anybody else right now, this downturn in the industry. And because of the fact that there's furloughs go by reverse seniority order. In other words, if you're one of the new pilots, you're going to get furloughed first, in the airlines, that is. And they say it's gonna inordinately affect the females. And I say to them, I said, ah, but that's a good thing. And they're like, look at me, like I'm crazy. I said, you know why? Because they're hiring more females. And that's why that's happening. For that industry, because there's there's this momentum, for that industry to change because of the seniority basis of an airline, it's gonna take many, many years we have an overabundance of females in the industry. And so that's why you're seeing females being affected. But If you look at it from my perspective, that means we've been hiring more and more people are getting involved, which is a good thing. The downside, obviously, at this point is the more I get furloughed, the more you hire. So there's two ways to look at that, you know, and I like to look at the positive side of it. <laughs>
2: yeah. And, and you know, adding on to your point there, I think... I, I look at what you just said in a female and and a girl's head and I'm like, oh, well also women are really creative and resilient. So, you know, we might, they might be being furloughed from the airlines, but I've had a lot of women reach out to me throughout the summer who have been furloughed and they're like, I'm just, I'm really down. This is affecting, you know, everything. And I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, get creative. You don't have, there's not just airlines. There's, there's not. And that's why, you know, Rolling into discussion of corporate aviation, business aviation. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And you have to get creative with it. And I just, I love it to see these women creating these businesses. You know, I promoted Girls in Aviation Day all last week. And uh, there's a bunch of aviation um, apparel stores and coffee and Um, they're, they're doing, uh, creating scholarships and female aviator podcasts and they're just like aviation's in our blood. And it doesn't mean just because you might not be in the air, that doesn't mean you're not a pilot. A certificate never expires. Remember you were always a pilot. You just might not be a current pilot and that is okay. Change is necessary to grow.
1: And i i well put, change is necessary to grow. And change within ourselves, primarily, that's really, really important. And also I think making a good example of whoever we're trying to represent is smart. And I think that you do that, uh, and especially with women and, and with females. And that's one of the reasons we really wanted to have you on here. Uh, one of the reasons, actually. The other reason is that you just talked about corporate flying. That, boy, it's getting a lot of notice lately because you know the airlines are furloughing and and corporate aviation, where a lot of people did want to go, eh, they're thinking twice. So so why why did you choose corporate aviation and and why do you like it?
2: Well, it kind of chose me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so kind of backing up, being in college and aviation, I never wanted to be in the airlines. Um, I never wanted more power to those pilots. They are brilliant and great and needed and uh, just. They fly huge machines of the size and grandeur I probably will never fly in my career. However, um, I didn't want to be a number. I didn't want to play the game. I didn't want to, you know, have to pay my pay those kinds of dues um, and having to work every holiday and all of that. So uh, I wanted to do military. That didn't happen either. That's a whole other story. Uh, so I stayed civilian and I ended up actually getting hired out to do aerial survey. So I took a very unique path. On time building. I never finished my CFI. I did aerial survey for the government. Um, and every two weeks, I lived out of a 172 for nine months. Every two weeks, they relocated us across the US. And in 2011, this little Detroit gale growing up on the lakes uh, broke down in Longview, Texas. And I was like, "Where am I?" (laughs) And Longview, uh, for those of you that don't know, in East Texas, it's still kind of an old town mentality. It's oil money, Bible belt, um, very young families, young wives, young mothers. You're born and raised to, you know, forgive me for stereotyping a little bit here, but like you're born and raised to find a husband, get married, have babies. So I, to this day, I'm still the only female at this airport that I broke down at. But these pilots. They were like, who are you? You look like you're 12 years old. You don't fly. Where's your dad? (laughs) You know, Um, long of the short of it is uh, they took me flying. They saw that I could do it. And they were like, you should move down here to Texas. The oil industry is booming. There's contract gigs. We will put you to work being a contract pilot. So double-edged sword here. I was a girl, so I was noticed. But then I had to prove myself. And therefore, I got an opportunity. Um, which that wasn't the end of the story, you know, of the, um, the hardship of being a woman in the, in the field. So I, I moved down, long story short, moved down. I started flying contract in the right seat of a jet. So I went from a 172 to the right seat in uh, 500 series citations. Uh, I did, you know, I did the ground school. I got current. I did all the in-house training, um, the flights, everything. And, uh. I quickly realized within three months that I was being financially taken advantage of. I was getting paid a third of what other pilots in the area were, were being paid. Um, I was getting put with captains who weren't the best uh, in the industry in this area um, safety wise. And I was kind of a bit of a laughing stock. Like I was just needed because they were short handed, So they gave me the opportunity, but I realized that there was a lot of demand in the business aviation field and these clients weren't being very well taken care of. So I uh, decided that I could do it better and I started my own company (laughs) and I decided to become their competitor. So um, Aubrey Air was born and I, you know, I did it all professionally. I did not poach or steal or do anything. I just, every client I've ever gotten was a recommendation, word of mouth. Um, and I jumped around a lot. I went from 172s to the citation, right? seat in the citation. Then I fell back down to Barron's and Kingers, And then I dropped farther down to a Cirrus. Nothing is too big or too small for me to fly. If there's a, If there's a demand, I will fly it. And that kind of rolled into my first type rating when I when I landed one kind of full time client aircraft management. Uh, I provide my slogan for Aubrey Air. I provide professional pilot services and aircraft management part 91. And so I gathered a couple long term clients that turned into the, my first type rating in the Falcon 10 and that rolled into me sending myself to school on the Citation 500 series single pilot, which was massively frowned upon in the area. Most pilots, I'm assuming in your generation, they would always tell you never pay for a type rating. Your company should pay for your training, right?
1: Right, right.
2: Okay. okay.
1: Yeah. And, and you have a training contract, but yeah, you, you never pay for yourself.
2: Yeah, but if you know how to manage your time and your money and you pay for your own t- training, you own your schedule. And that's I figured out I cracked the code. I figured out how to do it, at least for me. So I organized this business on the predicated on the fact that um, I ran myself. And so if I had a personal event in life, I could say, no, I'm unavailable. That was it. And I was very, very devoted to my schedule who at first come, first serve, whoever needed a trip, whoever needed their aircraft managed. If it was on my schedule first, that's who I did it. I don't care if it was for a serious and I missed out on a five-day to Punta Cana. It didn't matter. It And that's just the structure and stability of managing myself is what really made my business grow on the business and aviation side.
1: So this business that you've grown, though, you also have a family, correct? I do. <laughs> and, and so you're married, children. There must've been some challenges along the way with that. I mean, how did you manage both all these ratings growing a business and then you had this other side of your life? You have a family. How do you, how do you balance the two?
2: Okay. Well, marriage and fur babies, we do not have children yet, oh, okay. <laughs> um, sorry, <laughs> but you know, not out of the question and obviously something we are looking into and having to actually prepare for. So that answer to that is kind of, it's a two part answer. I strongly develop an angle myself to have a personal relationship with my job, which if you run your own business, anybody does, you have to be passionate about it. And it's your baby, that is your baby, it professionally. And so it's, it's not just kind of a show up and do it's an all consuming, intimately knowing career move to be a business aviation. And with that, you have to professionally establish boundaries, transparency, and conversation. And so to tie in my husband with that, which I cannot believe I actually did get married. I grew up saying I'll never get married. I'm going to travel and have my one dog. Well, I married a Texan and he is like the nine to five, very polar opposite of me. And it works so well. And here's why. What are the three things that you do in aviation when you are, you know, Every day, if you, if you see it, if an incident happens or you have something happen in the cockpit and you just, or you get lost when you're, you're like basic skills of flying, what are the three things? Aviate, navigate, communicate. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> I apply that. Call me a huge aviation geek right now, but I apply that to everything in every relationship in my life. Good or bad, you know, good. Aviate. Yay, I'm married. Navigate. Oh, we need to buy a house. Well, what are the checks and balances, steps, protocols, procedures to get said house? Now, how do we make that happen? Communicate. Hey, let's talk about buying said house. Same thing with anything hard that happens. You know, aviate. We have an issue. We haven't been spending time together because my schedule is too full. Navigate. All right. How do we get to spending time together? And let's communicate and talk about making that change. Uh, So, I mean, it's that simple. It's a three-step process.
1: I like it. I'm going to use it now. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, but it really is that simple. Communication is so important in everything in life, you know, and uh, we sometimes forget that part of it, especially in our in our relationships. And I think that's really important. And the fact that, yeah, aviate, navigate, communicate, uh, it's a great mantra, that's for sure. The And as far as the business aviation side of things, since you are work so much, that is something that I think a lot of us don't realize is that you can own your own business. You can work in business aviation, but there's many different aspects of it. You chose to actually own your own business. Uh, Some people work and they're pilots and they they're a part of the business, but they're not quite running it like you are. So let me ask you this as far as business aviation. First of all, I think uh, some people don't know what business aviation is. So let's back up and actually define that. What in your mind, what is business aviation?
2: Okay. So particularly for what I do, there's a lot of clients in the area, in my area, and I do have some clients based nationwide. They, they have enough money. Um, I'll say families or businesses. They have enough financial money and means to own their own plane, but they may not fly enough of a schedule to justify hiring a full-time pilot. So, you know, but they also don't have the necessary means or need to, you know, charter a 135. So they hire an aircraft manager and the aircraft manager then either comes with uh, in their business. Like I have a bunch of contract pilots or they hire full or part time pilots. And that manager then um, not only manages maintenance, stock, uh bills all that they also manage the schedule for those you know so those people will call up and say hey you know my family and i need to go to this firm here for a meeting tomorrow is that possible and you say yep i'll schedule it with a pilot so these pilots that work in business aviation with me they they're they're very flexible with their schedules and we love what we do so we rarely say no and you can pick and choose like how much or how little you really fly unless you have, you know, charter part 135, you, you know, you have to be on call so many days and then you're hard off so many days. Well, we in business aviation part 91 flying, we have to be fluid with our scheduling. And again, those boundaries are really important to say, no, you know what, I, I need rest. I can't accept this trip tomorrow, but I can do the one the day after that. Um, And so a lot of pros flying business aviation come along with having a flexible schedule and being willing to work holidays, weekends and all of that because we, we do get to go to and experience a lot of amazing places and some really unique and wonderful clients.
1: As far as those places, I mean, it is pretty amazing and you get to stay at some of those places too. But when you were talking, one thing I was thinking is how, so if you're in that type of aviation, you're for hire, you work per day. Is that how you get paid? I mean, how does that work for a pilot if they're looking at getting into the contract work?
2: Okay. So there's three different tiers, um, that you can break it down in and it's either a day rate. So that's a contract pilot. Uh, you get paid a day rate and typically that varies on, um, what your type rating is, you know, what kind of aircraft you're flying and, um, all of your expenses, whether it's in a form of a, not a retainer, what's it called? I'm blanking. They either pay for your meals or um, like a per
1: diem type of thing. That's it.
2: That's the word per diem. (laughs) I, I've just started working with per diem. So (laughs) anyway, um, everything, every day that you're away from home, you get paid a day rate, whether you're flying the plane or not. And all of your meals, hotel and transportation is paid for within reason. Uh, So that's the first tier contracting. Second tier would be what's called a retainer. And uh, I have a a pilot on retainer. So I pay him a certain amount of money where, you know, each month, regardless of if, if I use him or not, but it's, you know, I can call him. It's basically you get first rights of refusal. So I can call him and he, he needs to give me five days of flying a month. And after those five days, then I either, he can then decline work from me if he, you know, doesn't want to accept any more trips. Um, But also, the first rights of refusal, if he gets any other work, then he just kind of checks with me and is like, hey, I have a pickup trip tomorrow. Do you need me? And I say, nope, go make money. And then the third tier obviously would be some sort of salaried full-time position or a, a training contract agreement. I pay for your training and therefore we get, you know, three days a month for the rest of the year or whatever.
1: I was just gonna say, is there a challenge for the person that's the pilot when they do that type of thing, as far as a day rate or a retainer? Because I guess you'd have to budget yourself, uh, you know, with your your pay, because you got to pay your rent. How do you, how do you budget? How do you, you know, do you stay, say to yourself, okay, I should just budget on five days a month and that's it? No,
2: easy, easy. Okay. So this is what I do. And I actually, in my website um, that we'll talk about later, I share um, pilot's guide to handling economic cycles. And I talk about budgeting in that. So what I do is We'll we'll make the numbers. We'll round the numbers easy. So my recurrent training every year is ten thousand dollars, and I make a thousand dollars a day, which is t- I don't really, but I'm using these numbers to make it easy. I make a thousand dollars day rate on that plane. So therefore, for ten trips a year, whether that's one trip a month, um, I I make sure that I allot one trip a month to my training, and I after I do my personal budget, I know what my you know my home and bills and cell phone and gas and whatever, I know that I have to work at least eight contract trips a month in order to afford my bills and pay for my recurrent training this coming year. And so it becomes, you'd be surprised how many people could actually do this. If they just knew the answers to their own situation, if they actually sat down and truly budgeted, they'd be like, wow, I really only have to work those. And then if you work more days, you're, you know, now the joke is, hey, my husband's name is Blaine. I'm like, hey, Blaine, you got you want to go on vacation next year? I'm going to pick up two contract days and then that'll pay for our vacation. So now I have goals to work extra and it just becomes a game. It's actually a lot easier than you would think to budget and become a contract pilot.
1: Kind of similar with the the airline flying that I do is that we, uh, you know, you have a minimum amount of pay and if you want to pick up extra, you need to repair the car, you you know, you work an extra day, that type of thing. You could do that as a contract pilot, which by the way, I have a lot of friends that are contract pilots and they love it. Uh, I actually live near a few of them and they they like the freedom. Uh, that's I hear that a lot too, by the way. They like the freedom of being a contract pilot. So maybe you could speak towards that. why Why are they saying that to me?
2: OK, so that in and of itself is I'll use the term again, double edged sword. If you are a worrier, if you think, you know, when I was just contracting for a couple of years there, when I wasn't managing anything, I just wanted to contract and kind of freelance. I would have nothing on the books for the next month. And I'm like, how am I going to pay our mortgage? How am I? And it would stress me out to where I would lose sleep. But not a single time did my schedule ever not fill up. Um, the freedom of contracting is you get to use a beautiful two-letter word, N-O. You can say no in contracting. And they still call the calls, especially if you are a very organized professional pilot, you will get the calls. They will always call you back no matter what. And uh, so, I mean, there was a lot of times, 2018, I remember that was one of the years that I did just contracting. And I was flying, I think I flew almost 600 hours that year, just contracting alone. And I was exhausted, but it put us to a position to be able to buy a home. And, you know, I I sucked it up and I did it. But then the next year, I was like, okay, I'm not happy. I have an imbalance here with too much work. So I was like, oh, yeah, the word no. I can say no because I have a wedding to go to. I can say no because I need to spend a day with my husband. It's just, it's as simple as. They love the flexibility because they can say no. And the other part of it, we're pilots and we love what we do. So we really hardly ever do say no. <laughs> we want to go fly. Right.
1: <laughs> that's for sure. Now, f- so that people understand, that's contract flying. Now, if you're working for a corporation, uh, you're basically, uh, and that's the other part that people talk about, you're basically on call, quote unquote, 24 7. Even though most people have a schedule, it's a little bit different. And I'm sure you know a lot of people have done that.
2: Yeah. Oh, yes. Um. So the best setup is if you wanted to work, say say you applied to work directly for one company that has one or two planes. The best setup is if they have three pilots in rotation. And they they pay for your training. Um, you get paid a salary. You get paid whether you fly or not. And as long as you have a really good, cohesive professional relationship with your chief pilot and the other line pilot, you guys can rotate your schedule. And that way, hey, my daughter has a birthday on Thursday. Can you take a trip if there's a pop up or, hey, I'm in school. So you two have to like you two have a hard week on because I have to go to recurrent training. And so they're never their planes are never down because of crewing or short staff because of crewing. And then to go a step further, if they have more than two planes, then they also have a contractor's list. So I am one of those that are it's on a contractor's list for a couple uh, Falcon 50s in Dallas. And uh, it's with an old pilot I used to fly with um, or an old colleague. But he works now in a rotation with a Gulfstream and a Falcon. And uh, I'm like, oh, man, if I lived in Dallas, I would totally get in on that (laughs) and do business aviation full time.
1: One of the cool things though about the contract flying it sounds like you get to fly a lot of cool stuff like different stuff.
2: Yes, and you know, the way not I think I don't know if this is I actually haven't talked to a flight instructor about this, but um, I think one of the benefits of not being a CFI and going out and doing aerial survey and really putting myself out there, I'm not afraid to jump on the different equipment. Um I I'm pretty well versed in every type of avionics box you can imagine. I mean even the old stuff. I just I've become diverse in adapting to the aircraft. I mean it's a plane. They all fly the same. They just have different air speeds and systems, but as long as you can, you know, memorize those and it's 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 pretty awesome. I I do love it. I um my main bread and butter right now, I have a single pilot waiver on the 500 series citation, so I fly That actually, that type rating covers seven different airplanes. Um, And so those are all, they're all little differences. The body is pretty much the same. Um, But then I also uh, right seat on a Lear 31 and um, the Falcon 50. And then I just let my Falcon 10 PIC lapse. So I don't, those are dying breed, though. I don't know if I'll be going back to those anytime soon.
1: First Falcon I flew, what a neat plane that is. Um,
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: As a matter of fact, I guess they use them at FedEx when they first got started there, but it's, uh, and that's going back a ways. But you know, it's neat, neat just listening to you talk about all these different ty- types of aircraft, but going to the person, if I'm trying to envision somebody and the listener right now is trying to decide whether business aviation is for them, who would you say would be kind of the best fit or or the type of person that would be good for business aviation?
2: I'm going to say this candidly, but it's someone who wants to be the ringleader and not just the monkey. <laughs> um someone who's really self-motivated an independent learner uh driven by problem solving and someone who truly kind of wants to run their own show because there might be a chief pilot uh or an aircraft manager but typically when i get a trip i have to kind of piece it together if they're not super organized because they're busy and they expect you to know you know what to do and how to do it i'm not gonna i have to figure out you know the weight and get, go to the airplane and get all the weight and balance stuff. They don't just hand me like, here's a packet and this is your trip. I mean, I do as an aircraft manager, because I know it's a pain in the butt to go find all this stuff, but I have to contact the client. I have to make sure and double check the airport they're going to. Cause I was definitely dispatched to the wrong airport once and I could have died. I was so upset, that <laughs> I looked like such an idiot as a captain, but it wasn't my fault. But technically, you know, pilot in charge. It is your fault. Take, take ownership. Um, so yeah, just someone who wants to be organized and really enjoys the challenge of problem solving for the whole trip. I mean, you know, the maintenance that's done on your plane, you know, what stock is on board, you know, who your client is, you know where you're going, you set up your own hotel and crew car. So you don't have to stay at wherever Joe Schmo wants you to stay at, uh, within financial reason. Um, but it's really just the flexibility. It all goes back to flexibility. I, I don't mind. My husband and I have a, a good enough relationship. I might not be home on New Year's. I might not be home on Christmas. And we make that work. And sometimes the benefits of being in corporate aviation is I get to fly my husband out and stay with me for a free vacay. Sometimes he actually gets to go on the plane with me with the clients that I have established a personal relationship with. So there's a very unique situation when you start in the aircraft management realm or you fly full time for a company that just loves you they will say hey why don't you bring your spouses you know when we go down for christmas we don't want you to be away with without your spouses and they just who gets to truly say that you know it's it's amazing
1: Yeah that is cool How about if you are looking at somebody and you say to them, you know, or if I asked you, you know, if there was something that if you said, hey, if you can't do whatever blank, don't become a corporate pilot, what would you fill in that blank with?
2: If you can't be three steps ahead in everything you do, do not become a corporate pilot. We typically as pilots, you know, we're, we're bred, uh, in our training to be three steps ahead, knowing your weather, knowing where you're going, knowing what taxiway you're going to turn off when you land. But I'm talking from the moment you get up, you need to be three steps ahead of the game at all times. And that in turn makes you seamless. I love to make everything look seamless. Crap could hit the fan. Weather could be rolling in the plane could, I could show up in the plane's tires are extremely low and I'm just like, Hey, you know what? I'm in charge. And at the end of the day, I like you, but I like me more. So if I'm going to get there, we'll be okay. You know? And so just not, if, if you flail and fluster and get stressed out, if something goes wrong and you have to be the one that immediately calls a mechanic instead of trying to just kind of, is this something that I can fix right here and now? Or You know, or is it a bigger issue or a safety issue that I need to get others involved? Um, Sometimes ignorance is bliss when it comes to the clients sitting in the FBO. They they don't know that the tires are low. If they end up finding that out, you know, they're going to freak out and be nervous instead of saying, hey, we're going to have a little bit of a weather delay. Just, you know, hold on 20 minutes. Let me go assess the situation and see if I need a bigger delay. Being strategic is very important in in business flying
1: when you were talking a bit about business flying there and being three steps ahead uh, the, the opposite of that is being like an airline pilot where you kind of show up and everybody, everybody does everything for you. you know? and, <laughs> and so that there, there's two separate and, and, I don't want to offend anybody, but you know we have a lot done for us. Uh, catering's put on board. If there's a tire that's low that should have already been filled up by the time I got to the airplane, right? Uh, we 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 can. I tend to be prima donnas, you know, by <laughs> walking up to the plane saying, "Hey, why isn't my plane ready? My coffee warm, <laughs> and the plane yeah. warm for me?" Where? You're the person that does that.
2: <laughs> and that and that comes down to just like, you know, aviation. We joke and say aviation is in our blood, and that's exactly where it's in our blood. You might be the type of person that you chose airlines because that is the business you want to walk up to and have everything done for you because you just want to do the fun part, the great part of flying. And I am my personality is I want to know every nook and cranny so that I know and control at the end of the day, it's going to be, if you want it done right, It's, it's I, I got to do it myself. But that's just, you know, and some people just want to be cargo pilots because boxes don't complain, you know, so it just <laughs> depends on your preference, really.
1: Yeah, and everybody has a different preference, and that's one thing we have to find out ourselves: what's best for us. And that's another reason we're having this conversation. Aubrey, this has been awesome having you here, and I know that you talked about Aubrey Air. Um, I found you basically on Instagram, which uh, led me to your website, Collecting Pilots. So, collecting copilot, excuse me. Um, so, is there? There's a difference between Aubrey Air and Collecting Copilots. Tell us what that is.
2: Yes. Okay. So, Aubrey Air is um, my money maker and flying. <laughs> Um, but collecting co-pilots was, is a hobby that I actually started a few years ago. And uh, it's a female aviators collection featuring the latest in aviation, traveling to unique destinations and balancing kind of that sweet spot of a life with uh, lifestyle and celebrated people. It it was born, the website was born because being a female and very isolated, I didn't have anybody else. Like, I'm not going to talk to my male counterparts about packing tips i'm not going to talk to them about diet and exercise on the road you know i there's a there was a lifestyle gap and i was like well there's not a book that i can read to know how to do this life that's not a scheduled life and so i decided that i I had enough people and support that aren't pilots uh my co-pilots that i collect so to speak aren't all actually pilots um they are um Oh, there's a lot of different people from around the world. So anyway, I, I collect these people when I travel and they, I share their stories. And on the web, on this website, you can basically find anything and everything you need to do everything, but the flying part. So from, uh, health gurus to marketing gurus, to lifestyle coaches, to life-saving tip people. I mean, you name it. So it's, it's really fun. And uh, it's allowed me to plug in and believe it or not, I've actually found a lot of other women in aviation that I really didn't know existed across the board. And so we've kind of band together and it's not just for females. I mean, there's a lot of um, really good articles I've written on there. You know, I talked about the pilot's guide to handling economic cycles, five effective ways to improve your self-confidence in the flight deck, traveling etiquette, travel meal prep, Uh, five unique ways to build flight time. That's a big one among like the up and coming pilots. It's not just like, you know, flight instruction. Uh, so yeah, check it out. And I, I have guest writers. I, I promote all the podcasts I've been on. I do guest speaking events, whatever I can do to pay it forward only because, and I'll leave you with this. Um, not a single one of us in aviation has gotten to where we are at without the help of another person flying.
1: So true. We all have to uh, lean on others and we stand on the other's shoulders. That's for sure. Going forward, Aubrey, this has been absolutely awesome having you on. I really appreciate you coming here. Uh, if people have questions, feedback at com. But more importantly, go check out her website. Uh, sign up like I did for the newsletter, and that's over at CollectingCopilots.com. Uh, really, actually, it's very well done, by the way. It's aesthetically pleasing, uh, some really good articles. You'll learn something, great photographer, and uh, some wonderful uh, wonderful articles. Really, some, you're going to learn something if you go there, and you're going to learn something about the career, and I know that you're so open to people uh, actually coming by and saying hi, which I think is really cool.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's my pleasure and, um, anything I can do. If, uh, I don't know the answer, I will try to find it out for you. (laughs)
1: Cool. Awesome. Hey, what's next for Aubrey, by the way, we never asked you that question. What are you going to do next? I mean, after all this, man.
2: (laughs) (laughs) well, uh, man plans and God laughs. I, and I, and I live by that because I've tried to set up a five-year plan and I've had all these dreams and aspirations. And then, it doesn't work out in my favor, as you've probably learned through the podcast we just talked about. I have a controlling nature, um, but it always ends, out, ends up so much better. I never dreamed that I would be truly... I never dreamed I'd be married, living in this beautiful home in East Texas, running my own business, running a website. Um, so really, I'm focusing on um, learning what I can to write a lifestyle book for aviation, um, and just kind of helping others and wherever ca- my career goes, I mean, and just like everyone else being in the, you know, we might be in the same plane, but we're all weathering a different storm, this whole COVID bit. I have no idea. I'm just very blessed to still have a job and to be helping others kind of get creative and, um, keeping their head afloat until, you know, aviation's going to come back. And I really honestly can't tell you in terms of my flying career, what's going to be next it's uh i think it's a kind of a crapshoot for all of us isn't
1: it 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 sure is and a lot of times we realize it's it's not in our control as much as we we plan but uh but we can control certain things we can control uh you know the way we look at life and that's what you need to do during this period and to have that positive outlook just like you do again uh aubrey this has been awesome collecting copilots.com highly recommend you going out there, checking out her website, it's uh, something that'll inspire and uh, it'll entertain. It's also gonna educate you as far as aviation. Uh, if you're interested in the, the world of corporate aviation or just flying in general, uh, if you're somebody who is really looking for something to read, that's the place to go. You know, one thing that I think is really important though is no matter what in life is not to stop here. I know this COVID thing we talked about, it's really challenging. Um, but we truly will make it through this. And the way we do that is by not feeling overwhelmed, knowing that we can get to the other end of the parking lot or the other end of the state by just taking one step every day to move towards our career goal and our life goals. Well, folks, I really appreciate listening. Check out collectingcopiles.com. We'll talk to you next episode.